The results are in, and UK assets are on the rise. A decisive victory for Boris Johnson's Conservative Party in the 2019 general election has so far been greeted warmly by investors. Sterling and domestic-facing UK equities made big gains as news came in. But is this the start of a long upward trend, or is it something a bit rockier, a bit less predictable? Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Show. I'm Dave Baxter, and joining me today is Victoria Hasler, Director for Research and Consulting at Square Mile. Victoria, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So, as with all political events, people have very different views, there are big divides. But if you look at how investors have reacted so far, um, they've given a fairly kind of unanimous reaction. Um, so I guess it'd be good at first just to look at, you know, what's behind this and um, then perhaps we can get into what it means for, for example, UK equity funds. Mm, absolutely. So, you know, I think... The best thing about this result, really, no matter what your political views are, mm. is that the Conservatives got a big majority. And that majority means that there is a bit more certainty around the political situation now, which is a good thing because markets absolutely hate <laughs> uncertainty. So, you know, I think we've seen the market go up a bit already this morning, probably just on that clarity. That's good. Um and I guess that you know the fact that they got a big majority means the Conservatives can now go ahead with their Brexit deal. I don't think we should kid ourselves that that will end all the uncertainty, though, because you know really the deal is just the start of negotiations, isn't it? So whilst it's great that there's a majority and that we can finally start getting some things through, I think we need to expect a few more years of uncertainty whilst those trade negotiations go on before things can really settle down properly. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's really, you know, despite the slogan, get Brexit done, it's really a much longer road in terms of the processes that need to go ahead. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, but what what does this mean then for, um, for example, kind of UK equity funds? Um, I mean, I guess some will be having big bounces and some have been very beaten up. But does this um, kind of change the outlook for someone looking to pick different funds and build their portfolio? So I think the first thing that you see generally on this kind of news is a bounce. So just a general bounce across the whole market, really. Um, again, just on that um, certainty, I guess, that, that something's going to happen finally, <laughs> something might happen. Um, and as you said, this morning, we did see a bounce in the markets. I mean, how long that will last for, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but but at the moment, markets are bouncing you know, again, I think if there's if there's uncertainty around trade negotiations, that could affect the UK equity market over the next few years. I don't think we should expect a smooth ride here at all. Um, you know, I guess on each piece of news that comes out, you're going to see equity markets go up or down a bit. Mm. Um, for now, it looks good, though. And, you know, I don't want to sound too negative. It certainly seems that a conservative majority and more certainty should be a good thing for equity markets and UK equity funds in particular, I think. And, you know, probably across the board. Do you think, I mean, I guess what's interesting, is does it perhaps set something off a floor? It sets perhaps a greater level, because we're, we're used to these, as you mentioned, these ups and downs are both sterling and different kind of um, sections of the UK equity market. But does this perhaps give a slightly firmer footing? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it does, definitely. You know, if you think back to the referendum, since then, there's been so much going on in the UK political scene, hasn't there? So we, you know, we've had 
um, changes of prime minister. We've had several elections. I mean, the the, yeah. the Brexit referendum itself caused huge volatility in markets. So we've had kind of two and a half years of really heightened volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit weird, I suppose, because other than the immediate aftermath of the referendum and a period in 2018, basically markets have still been going up, which is probably not what you'd predict. Mm. So, you know, volatility, yes, it's probably still been a good time for most investors, not all of them, but most of them, if you look at it over the long term. We've now got a bounce. You probably expect that to continue, you know, at least, well, at least until the end of the year, probably until the date of of Brexit, which um, I think we're all assuming is going to be the 31st of January. Whether or not that will happen, we'll see, because (laughs) we've had a few dates passed before. Before storms, yeah. But what happens after that is still a little uncertain, I'm afraid. Yeah, so still still quite an area for the patient investor, I suppose. Absolutely. And uh, another area that's been particularly affected by the um, sentiment around Brexit is property. Mm. Um, Obviously, there have been separate issues. There have been difficulties in the retail market. But it's been interesting to see those problems return with the suspension of trading on the M&G property portfolio fund. One point that's been made about this is although a lot of these funds are kind of under stress now, people are pulling their money out, perhaps panicking a little bit. There's this idea that this bounce, if it came through, could perhaps kind of rescue these funds. Does it now seem that you know, that episode has kind of come to an end, things are a bit calmer? Or So uh, I think one of the big problems in the property market of late has been that post the Brexit referendum, we've seen a real drop off in foreign investors in the UK property market for very obvious reasons. You know, when there are such uncertainties, why are they going to put their money in the UK when they could put it somewhere else? So you would expect some of that money to maybe start coming back into the market. Now, whether that happens now or whether that happens, you know, after we've got a bit more clarity on the trade negotiations, I don't know. But you would at some point expect some of that money to start coming back in. So that's a good thing. But I don't think that's the only thing going on because actually, you know, in the property market, we've we've had a lot of talk about um, illiquid assets. Obviously, property isn't an illiquid asset. And when it's traded in an open-ended fund, which is a daily dealing vehicle, there's a very obvious mismatch there between an illiquid asset and a daily dealing fund. Um, And the FCA have been looking at this. So, um, you know, they put out a review. And I think in the case of M&G in particular, you know, their, their setup is a little bit different from some of the other property funds. So most of the other property funds have had much higher levels of cash than the M&G fund. And People have the managers of these funds have interpreted the FCA review in different ways. So some of them interpreted it as okay, property is very illiquid. That means we need to hold very high cash balances to provide some liquidity in a daily dealing fund, and you know that there will be a cost to investors for doing that, and and that's just the cost of investing in property. M&G took a slightly different view and said actually holding big cash balances you know, is not what investors expect. They expect when they invest in a property fund, they expect to be invested in property. (laughs) So they took a slightly different view there and had a much lower cash balance. But of course, that does mean when people start to take money out of the fund, that you don't have as much cash to meet those redemptions, and that you probably are going to have to suspend dealing in the funds sooner. Now, 
I'm not necessarily saying that one of those is right and one of those is wrong. Um, they're different approaches and they might be suitable for different investors. And I think what you have to remember about a fund suspension is it's always done with the best interests of the existing investors at heart. Now, that again, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be over the moon about it. <laughs> but the managers do it to try and protect the existing investors. And, you know, they're still getting the returns of the property market during that time. And they're still getting their income paid out during that time. But obviously, they can't get their money back if they want it. Yeah, the cash point is an interesting one because um, I don't know if you remember, the FCA briefly considered um, basically discouraging funds from having those big cash buffers because yeah. you you create that first mover advantage and then, you know, people can, who, who perhaps are watching things more closely can sort of rush out the door and then that leaves the other people sort of holding the can, I suppose. But if you're uh, an investor kind of using these um, open-ended property funds, they're still very popular. Mm. What can you do in terms of your kind of, due diligence and, you know, whether it is kind of well positioned for these quite volatile times. So I I think the first thing you have to do is go in with your eyes open and accept that you are buying an illiquid asset and that if things get bad, the fund is going to suspend dealing. So if you can't take that, then you shouldn't be buying these funds in the first place. I think that's really important. And, you know, there are some people who can't afford to have their money locked in a fund. Then please, please don't buy property funds. They're not for you. If you're prepared to accept that the fund could gate and suspend dealing for a bit, then, you know, I think you you just have to think about what you want. So, you know, for example, in the after the um, Brexit referendum, there were some funds, quite a few funds that suspended dealing for quite a length of time. Now, actually, you know, what we were hearing from the managers is most of the complaints that they got about those fund suspensions were not, I can't get my money out, but I can't put my money in. So the people who were putting in regular premiums couldn't get their money in. You know, so for a lot of investors, actually, that's an issue (laughs) as well. And a a big cash balance can disappear very quickly. So actually saying, oh, you should look and see it's make sure it's got loads of cash. That's not necessarily going Mm -hmm. to help you. It'll probably buy you more time. But in a really extreme scenario, it's not going to help you. So You've got to be happy that a fund can suspend. Now, there were some funds that stayed open after the Brexit referendum. What those funds tended to do, so they took a slightly different approach. And rather than suspending the fund, they applied really big, what we call fair value price adjustments. So that just means that they, um, the price of the properties were marked down considerably. So if an investor wanted to get out, they absolutely could. But it was at, you know, in some cases at a kind of 25% discount to what the properties were actually worth. So, you know, that's not necessarily a great scenario for investors either. You have to kind of, again, I think you have to go into this with your eyes open, be aware of what could happen and just accept it. You know, if you can't take that volatility and you can't take the fact that the fund might suspend and you can't get your money back, then don't buy these funds. Mm, yeah, I guess similar thing applies with um, maybe the investment trusts. Uh, people talk about investment trusts mm. being much better structure, but equally, like you mentioned, the um, kind of the adjustments that went on that would um, uh, perhaps create a, a loss for you if you did get out. And with investment trusts, you can see similar things with share prices. Yeah, absolutely. They can often trade uh, very big discounts. Um, So, you know, they might drop by 25%, for example, if you want to get your money out. Um, The other thing about investment trusts is they do tend to invest in slightly different types of properties because the fund sizes 
are much smaller mm. usually. They invest in smaller properties. So it's a slightly different kind of market. Strangely, actually, a market which can often be a bit more liquid, um, but it does trade in a slightly different way. So they might be a really good solution for some people, but again, not for everybody. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, I mean, we've discussed, like you said, uh, perhaps 2020, the rest of it, will what what's left of it will be good for kind of UK equities. Let's move on to kind of 2020. This time of year, we see loads of outlooks. We get a sense of um, what investors are generally feeling, what they feel positive about or otherwise. From your work kind of, you know, monitoring funds, um, have you seen any interesting shifts in terms of either how fund managers are positioning or in terms of kind of how they're feeling about markets? So I think um, a lot of people have been holding back a bit, actually, just because we've had the election coming up. Um, and there's obviously uncertainties in global markets as well, you know, particularly with the trade wars in the US and China and um, things like that. So I think a lot of people have just been holding back a bit and waiting for things to kind of resolve a little. So we've seen a lot of cash on the sidelines. You know, a lot of funds have relatively high cash balances at the moment. And hopefully, particularly for the UK funds, hopefully some of that money might might now start to go back into markets. Um, in terms of the wider economies, you know, I think um, on the whole, people are probably a little bit cautious. Data's deteriorating a bit, um, which is making people probably just take some risk off the table. We've also had a great run in markets this year. Mm. I mean, really fantastic. Um, and particularly, actually, in bond markets. You know, it's, it's really been a fantastic year. So we've seen a lot of people just taking profits and, again, just, just becoming a bit more defensive in their positioning, not necessarily because they expect anything terrible to happen, but just because we've had such a great run and they, they want to kind of uh, lock in some of those profits. Mm. You, you mentioned bonds, um, and in summer we chatted about the the fact that they were performing very strongly, and you know this created a kind of um, difficult call for investors as to you know do they hold it or is it overpriced and all that sort of stuff. Has that changed at all? And you know how are how are things looking for the next year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's changed massively, to be honest. I mean, the year carried on being. <laughs> just amazing. I mean, really, beyond all expectations, mm. it's, it's been incredible. So, like I say, we have seen a lot of people taking profits. You know, as regards next year, I don't think most people are expecting a huge sell-off. I mean, we're not expecting the returns that we've had this year. That that surely can't be repeated. Um, but I don't think most people are expecting a big sell-off. I mean, actually, there's still quite a lot of support for bond markets. So the Federal Reserve is cutting rates still. The ECB are doing a lot of quantitative easing still. That is a huge support for markets. I guess in the UK, perhaps um, bonds look a little bit more vulnerable just because with the Conservatives getting that majority, obviously they've said that they're going to spend more in the next um, term of Parliament. So you would expect them to start issuing more government bonds and for probably the price to come off a little bit of those. But I don't think most people are expecting it to come off massively, probably just a little bit at the margin and maybe, maybe kind of trade in a range a bit. Does that apply elsewhere around the world? Because you're you're seeing a bit more of this move towards what you mentioned, sort of like government spending, doing fiscal stimulus, mm. um, now that perhaps central banks have seem to have uh, kind of lost some of their influence. Yeah, it's interesting this, isn't it? Because you would normally expect 
increased fiscal stimulus to have a negative impact on bond prices because as governments issue more bonds, they become less valuable. But I think you know, it's easy kind of as an economist, I suppose, to look at these things in isolation and say, oh, that's the effect that should happen. But we know it's never like that. <laughs> There's too many other things going on as well. So I think in an environment where the data is deteriorating and you know, particularly when the Federal Reserve is still cutting interest rates, that, that has a knock-on effect everywhere. So on balance, I'm not sure it's likely that bond yields are going to sell off significantly. I mean, it's true, though, as we've been saying for the past 10 years, that, that bonds are very expensive. <laughs> so it wouldn't be a surprise to see them sell off a little bit, but, but probably not a lot given all of the other influences. It does depend on the extent of the, of the fiscal stimulus as well. I mean, if it's an enormous programme, then maybe, maybe bond yields will sell off. I think that's probably unlikely that it'll mm. be that big, though. So it's still a difficult call then, I guess, in terms of do you hold bonds for diversification, that kind of... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think when times are uncertain, you probably do want more diversification in your portfolio, don't you? And and maybe that's the kind of time when you start to think, all right, I'm not going to go all out. And if I miss out on a little bit of the up markets, well, that's fine if I've got these kind of insurance policies in my portfolio through holding things like bonds and, and perhaps property as well. I mean, property is a great diversifier. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, yield from the uh, um, bond universe? I mean, this year you've had, for example, emerging market debt has performed really well, been mm. really popular. Uh, is is there still a you know decent and um, hopefully not too ridiculously risky way to get yields from, from bonds? <laughs> I mean, yields are low everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're looking for really high yields, then you're going to struggle, I yeah. think. <laughs> Um, I mean, most of the managers that we talk to seem to think the best kind of risk adjusted yields are in investment grade bonds at the moment. So fairly high quality Mm. corporate bonds issued by companies. Um, The yields aren't great, to be honest, but most people seem to feel that pushing out into riskier bonds, so the riskier corporate bonds or the riskier parts of emerging market is probably just not worth it at the moment. So it may be one of those times when you just have to say, okay, I'm not going to get a great yield. I'll just have to accept that for now. Mm. And I I guess on both fronts, so on the diversification front and the yield front, uh, as a kind of private investor, is there a a good way to um, play this via the kind of fund you would use? I think if you're... If you're going in as an investor, um, particularly, you know, if you're if you don't know a lot about corporate debt, the best way to play it is just through a, a diversified corporate bond fund. So you get, you know, you get a good manager who's going to manage the risk for you. You know, it's really important in corporate bonds that you have a team of analysts who are looking at those companies because in fixed income, there's not a huge amount of upside normally. <laughs> there has been this year, but yeah. normally there isn't a huge amount of upside. The really important thing is to avoid any defaults on bonds. So companies you know, saying we can't afford to pay our debt anymore, because that can really have a, a big negative impact on your returns. So it, you know, if you have a good manager and a good team of analysts looking at those bonds, you should be able to avoid most of that downside negative returns. And over time, that means that you'll get good returns from your corporate bonds so yeah look look for an experienced manager look for a diversified fund i think 
And what about, um, I guess I have two questions. What, what about kind of passives? Uh, we're seeing still more and more people going into things like bond ETFs. And separately, what about um, strategic uh, bond funds? Yeah, so I think on the, on the passive side, I mean, they can be a great choice for some investors. They don't, they're not without risks. So on the passive side, you don't have that team of analysts looking at the companies. They just buy what's in the index. Um, and the thing that you have to remember about fixed income indices is the way that they're constructed, they kind of weight the companies with the most debt, the highest. So you will, you will have exposure, the most exposure to the, to the companies with the highest debt, if that makes sense. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's something to be aware of. Um, I think as well, you have to be aware when you buy a passive that they don't, they don't really manage liquidity. And obviously, corporate bond markets are not the most liquid markets in the world. So that's just something to be aware of as well. That's not to say you shouldn't buy a passive. They can be a good choice for some investors, but you need to be aware of the risks. It's not going to be the right choice for everybody. Um, strategic bond funds, I think, can be a great choice for a lot of investors because fixed income markets are actually quite complicated. You know, already we've talked about mm. government bonds and corporate bonds and emerging market debt, and there's so much choice, which is for your average investor, it's a bit difficult to know what to choose, quite honestly. So a strategic bond fund will move between all of those different areas and the manager will make that decision for you, which in most cases is a great thing because they're the expert. You know, they spend all day, every day looking at the markets and looking at all the data and looking at valuations and let them make that decision for you. Mm. You know, come on, we're all after an easy life, aren't we? <laughs> so, yeah, I think for a lot of investors, a strategic bond fund can be a really good choice. And particularly if you only want to buy one bond fund. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose one thing with strategic bond funds is also you need to, you need to know whether it's aligned with your views, don't you? Because they can take, because they have that flexibility, they can take such different um, positions on what might happen in, in markets. Yeah, that's really important. It's a good point, actually, because some of them have a lot invested in corporate bonds. Some of them have a lot invested in emerging markets. Mm. You know, that might not reflect your views. That might be a bit too risky for you. You know, the, the fund might become quite volatile then in certain situations. It'll probably have a higher yield as well, but mm. you, know, you have to weigh all these things up. And yeah, I think as well in terms of, of your kind of economic views, you know, some of them are positioned to benefit from a kind of low interest rate environment. Some of them are positioned much more to benefit if bond yields sell off. So you definitely have to be aware of it. Most of the companies are pretty good at publishing kind of commentaries and things on their websites now. So people should go and read those, absolutely, and you know, think, is this the kind of fund I want? Does it have the kind of risks that I can accept? Um, I mean, as well, it's always a good idea to go and talk to a financial advisor, isn't it, who knows the funds a bit better maybe and, and can advise you on, on what might fit in with your views. Yeah. And um, you mentioned uh, liquidity earlier, and I suppose we've been skirting around it, talking mm. about the property funds. There's the Obviously, this year has been sort of dominated by what's happened with uh, the Woodford Fund. But as you mentioned, corporate bonds can also be an area where people worry about liquidity. If you're picking a fund, is there anything you can do in terms of kind of monitoring how it stands up and managing liquidity, that sort of thing? Yeah, it, it's it's actually a little bit tricky, and it's harder in fixed income than it is in equities, I'm afraid. Um, there are some things you can do. So, I mean, again, making sure you have an experienced manager, I think, is important because they'll be able to look at that for you, which is great. Um, 
simple things like making sure the fund is well diversified, that's going to help if there are liquidity issues. You know, you're never going to get a free lunch, are you? So if you're choosing an investment grade fund and the yield is really, really high, much higher than other funds, you might want to ask yourself why that is, because bonds that are less liquid tend to have a higher yield. You know, you're being paid to take that extra risk. So um, you can look at that. You can look, if you have access um, to any kind of data systems, you can look at the issue sizes as well, because usually, not always, but usually the smaller bond issues tend to be a bit less liquid. Where where would you look for that? Would that be sort of Morningstar or someone? Probably more Bloomberg, Mm. to be honest. I'm guessing most people won't have access to that that, data. Um, Which again, you know, if you're if you're interested in that kind of thing, you might want to go and talk to a financial advisor who might be able to get that data for you. But you know, on the on the whole, I think you can you can look and see how the funds have behaved in the past a bit, maybe, and and the more volatile funds maybe might might have some of the less liquid bonds and it is quite hard to tell honestly if you you know if you don't have access to the data it is a bit harder to tell with fixed income funds mm. and you know again i'm not necessarily saying that buying illiquid bonds is a bad thing they do come at a yield premium and for some people that's a good thing and particularly if you have a long investment horizon and you're not worried about liquidity they may be a good investment for you yeah but they won't be for everyone Again, it's it's like you said, it's understanding why you're getting that premium, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Brilliant. Well, um, thanks for that. Some really interesting points. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. But do look at the magazine or investorschronicle.co.uk for more on funds and investments, including an in-depth analysis of how the open-ended property funds are positioned for uncertain times. Thanks for listening and have a good weekend. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.